Good morning. If you would, please open your Bibles to Luke 20, 27 through 40. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 880. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die any more because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed. In the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dare to ask him any question. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. In a completely different context, this morning in Sunday school, uh, Jeremy mentioned the Sadducees, and he said something I'd never heard before. What was that? Oh, okay. So the, the, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, therefore that, that's why they were sad to see. Oh, sad you see. Got it. <laughs> Very good. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, for his glorious ascension and the resurrection life that we have in him. We ask that you would uh, help us this morning to have ears uh, to hear, uh, eyes to see, hearts to believe and obey your word. Oh, Lord, we would see Jesus this morning. Open our eyes uh, to see him, we ask in his name. Amen. All right, for those of you who got to know Christian Chastain during the three months that he uh, stayed with Mandy and me last fall, he was one of the ones that we've had in our um, up in the, the, the second uh, floor now that our children are gone. Um, I want to, to tell you one of my favorite stories about his dad. Uh, his dad, Mike Chastain, uh, discipled me as a young Christian, and he was very influential in my life, in fact, uh, very influential in me pursuing ministry. And uh, Mike is a fireball. Uh, there was a man trying to challenge Mike's belief in God by using one of those uh, reductio ad absurdum arguments, which tries to demonstrate uh, how nonsensical something is by taking it to its logical conclusion. And you've probably heard some variation of these types of arguments. You know, uh, if God is all-powerful, 
can he make a rock that is too big for him to pick up? Or if God can do anything, can he make a round square? You know, and, and, and foolishness like this. Uh, most people would answer this challenge by noting that uh, God does not squeeze himself into man's logical syllogisms. You know, if God could only be, um, or if, if God could only be who we rationally conceive him to be, then he could not be triune because the doctrine of, tr- of the Trinity, although it can be defined, cannot fit within our rational limitations. Secondly, we might answer that there are things that God simply cannot do. God cannot lie. God cannot sin. Nor can God contradict himself by making a round square or rock so big that it's impossible for him to pick it up. But that's not the way Mike answered this objection. Rather, Mike retorted by saying, well, God is not in the business of making a rock so big that he cannot pick it up or making round squares, but he is in the business of sending reprobates like you to hell who make up silly questions because they hate God. And that was vintage Mike. Our passage, in our passage, a group of Sadducees approached uh, Jesus with one of these reductio ad absurdum arguments. And Jesus' answer was much closer to the way Mike answered than the way we typically um, would, would uh, argue with someone who gives one of these arguments. So I want to say a word or two. Well, I think it's three pages worth of, of, of a word uh, in my notes about biblical apologetics. Uh, apologetics is a theological term that uh, means defending the faith. Many Christians uh, take a defensive stance when simply ob- uh, answering the objections of unbelievers as if they were uh, asking from a standpoint of neutrality, as if they really earnestly uh, want to know God but have these logical objections that just keep them from God against their will. And so Christians patiently try and answer their questions without realizing that the real is- issue is not logic, but, uh, or not logical, but spiritual. The unbeliever, in their heart, the Bible says it very clearly, the unbeliever hates God, does not really want, want to know God, and is standing behind a wall of questions to keep from having to deal with God. And so Christians should cut through the charade by making sure that the discussion gets to the heart of the matter, which is the rotten state of their heart. The heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. Uh, In Matthew and Mark's account of this incident, Uh, In our passage, Jesus makes this approach very explicit. The first thing that Jesus says to the Sadducees after they presented their 
their absurd question was, you are wrong because you neither know the scriptures or the power of God. I'm not sure why Luke does not include this in his account, but Luke does add that Jesus tells them that not everyone will be considered worthy to attain eternal life, clearly excluding the Sadducees because they didn't even believe in the resurrection. And he was essentially telling them that they were not worthy to be sons of the resurrection. Uh, So instead of just addressing the head issue, aiming for the heart. If you study the book of Acts to see how the apostles evangelized, uh, you'll find that they reasoned from the scriptures, but they were not aiming at the head exclusively. They were aiming at the heart. So, for instance, Peter, first Christian sermon in Acts chapter 2, said to the crowd after going through and expositing the scriptures, He said, let all the house of Israel know, therefore, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's prickly preaching. And the next verse says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the mind. No, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7, as he preached to the crowds, uh, and the crowds included many religious leaders, and he concluded his sermon by saying, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And you know what happened. They were cut to the heart. They gnashed their teeth at him. They dragged him out and stoned him. But he hit the heart. We're not to be mean or angry when we present the gospel of our Lord Jesus. But we are called to use the word of God like a dagger. To stick it in the heart and twist it right at the point of their rebellion against God. Sometimes it may make the the unbeliever very unhappy, but other times it will cause them to clearly see their rebellion against God so that they might cry out to the Lord Jesus. The heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. So, what's going on here in this passage between the Sadducees and our Lord Jesus Christ. Sadducees were the elites in Jerusalem. Uh, In fact, it was exclusively from the Sadducees that the high priest was chosen. And across the board, they were all very wealthy. They only believed the Torah was the word of God. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, all the rest of the the Bible, they, they ignored it. Only the first five books 
for the Sadducees. But, you know, even though they said that they followed the Torah, they didn't really follow it um, and did not submit to God at any part of their lives. And what was most distinctive about their beliefs was they denied the uh, resurrection. They did not believe that there was a resurrection after death. They believed that this life was all that there is. And as crazy as it sounds, the most secular Jews in society, these, these Sadducees, that was the class from where the high priest was chosen. Their secularism was not driven by the scriptures, but rather it was, it was driven by their extensive wealth and power. Um, help me out, Jimbo. The, the, uh, the, the Jewish um, historian, Josephus, thanks, yeah. Josephus wrote at the time about how heartless and how greedy the um, Sadducees were. Their love of money was the root of their secularism. They were living for, the, for today, giving very little thought to eternity. Philip Ryken sarcastically asked, Who needs eternal life if you can get everything you really want right now? You know, it's axiomatic. To the extent that you love money, your hunger for God and for spiritual matters will suffer. And this is always important, but I think as the trend lines head more and more towards secular encroachment upon the church, we're going to need to be willing to give up things that we take for granted, secular or rather worldly enjoyments. Maybe um, worldly prerogatives. Uh, we may have to say you know, no to this or that in order to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as, as uh, society becomes um, more and more um, uh, uh, against the church. Um, and I'm not talking about sinful things. I'm just talking about... You know, some of you may have to walk away from a job because the the government says you have to do this. I heard several months ago that the uh, the president administration was was uh, was trying to say that even Christian doctors uh, must perform um, uh, gender surgeries. And if you're a Christian doctor, how can you do that? So there, there may be areas in where we would have to, to, uh, to say no, and it might be costly. And if we are loving this world, if we love our money and our possessions, it'll be more difficult to follow the Lord Jesus and to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him in, in paths that previous generations um, here in this country have not had to, to walk. So if we're loving our money and our worldly entitlements too much, we might be reluctant to deny ourselves and follow Christ. Don't love 
money. Don't love your possessions. Love the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you would have thought that the Sadducees would not have dared challenge Jesus after watching him dismantle the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. But they thought that they had the perfect challenge uh, using Deuteronomy 25 uh, that required, in Deuteronomy 25, I think it's verses 2 and 3, uh, it required that if a man's brother died without children, he must marry the widow. And the purpose of this command was to keep a family line from dying out and also to keep the, the family wealth intact. And so the Sadducees tried to use this command to suggest if there was a resurrection of the dead, the wife of the seven brothers would be in a polyandrous relationship with seven men for eternity. Or one of these brothers would arbitrarily be counted as her husband in heaven. Would it be the first husband? Would it be the last husband? Would it be the one that she loved more than the others? You know, how would you determine which of the seven husbands would be her husband in eternity? Would you flip a coin? Would you draw a name from the hat? The Sadducees were trying to show that the very idea of the resurrection life was absurd. So uh, listen again to our passage, verses 27 through 33. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise him up, raise up his offspring for her brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third uh, took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. And you know this is a false story because I'm sure by the time she got to the third or fourth husband, she was dead, right? Um, so anyway, uh, afterwards the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. So that's what's going on here in the passage, trying to show that the whole idea of the resurrection is absurd. And Jesus, in his answer to the Sadducees, noted that there are two ages, this present age in which we are living, and then the age to come. He also stated that uh, only those considered worthy will obtain to the resurrection of the age to come. We live in a secular age that will not allow for a concept of the resurrection to be discussed out in, um, outside the walls of the church, out in the scholarly um, or the university community. Uh, you are shut down, you're laughed out of the room. We are told that this present age is all that there is. And there are major problems with the uh, theory of evolution, too many to address in this sermon. There are some great books out there that uh, address these issues. Uh, if you have questions about uh, the theory of, of uh, evolution, uh, Lee Baird, can, uh, with his um, 
physics degree can walk you through many of the problems there that we have with the theory of evolution or or buy a book. Um, But in our society, we're not allowed to bring up the idea of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and our uh, resurrection. We're laughed out of the, the room. But I want to tell you that there is a spiritual realm, there is a resurrection from the dead. The world's attitude towards eternity, because it's just bearing down on our society all the time, can serve to numb our convictions about the age to come. Um, But the age to come is real. It is as real as our present uh, existence. And only those who are considered worthy will attain to the eternal age as the sons of the resurrection. But don't think that you have to make yourself worthy or that you are worthy in and of yourself. You are only uh, considered worthy if God considers you righteous in Jesus Christ. That is the only way that you can enter into God's presence. That is the only way that you can be a son of the resurrection That is the only way that you can have eternal life is through Jesus Christ. Why does Jesus use this unclear language about worthiness? Well, uh, he is underscoring that he was saying that the Sadducees are not considered worthy of the resurrection. In fact, it was a direct assault on their pompous pride. Listen to Jesus um, closely. He's He is saying that not everyone will go to heaven, but only those who have been made worthy um, by the righteousness of Jesus that we receive by him alone. I want to ask you, have you fled to Jesus Christ for his righteousness? Have you renounced your own pompous attempts at righteousness and your own feeble or futile dreams of self-generated worthiness? Worthiness before God only comes through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. Righteousness from God apart from the law that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus here raises the issue of what will eternity be like. He says we will be equal to the angels in verse 37. He's not saying that we will be angels. He's saying that we will live forever like the angels. Look at verse 36, um, first part of verse 36. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to the angels who are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. And so, if you are a son of the resurrection, you will not die um, again. There's a little little, uh, riddle that, that went through my head just now. I used to ask this all the time as a young Christian. Uh, to, to complete strangers, ask it to waitresses, ask it to people behind the register at, uh, if I was in the store with uh, someone all by myself and, and that other person. If you're born once, you die twice. 
If you're born twice, you die once. How can this be? And, uh, of course, it just gets you right into the gospel, you know, to answer this question for them. And uh, if you are born here in this world, and then you are born again through Jesus Christ, you might die, well, you will die physically unless the Lord comes back. But you will not die in eternity. There will be no funeral directors up in heaven. Let me say that again. There will be Christian funeral directors who died and are in heaven, right? Mark Vargo would be pretty upset with me right now. Um, But uh, there will not be the profession of funeral director in heaven because no one will die. And he also says that we will be sons of the resurrection. What does that mean? Well, being a son gives you the highest status in the household under the father. And so, ladies, you will be sons of the resurrection as well. He's saying that you will be an heir along with the men. You will have the highest status in the kingdom of heaven. You are an heir. You're not a second-class citizen in heaven. No matter who you are, no matter if you squeak into heaven as someone with a deathbed conversion, you will be sons of the resurrection. You will have that high place in heaven. And there are many other glorious ways that we are equal to the angels in heaven. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to save all that for Resurrection Sunday, next Sunday with Easter. And we'll talk about uh, some of the, the realities of the resurrection next week um, and, in, in more detail. Another way that our passage, however, says that we are equal to the angels in the resurrection is found in verse 34. And this uh, has been an upsetting verse for many people who've had a wonderful marriage. Uh, it says, And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age, um, sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to that resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Like the angels, We will not be married or be given in marriage up in heaven. Uh, And like I said, I know this could be uh, upsetting for those of you who have enjoyed a, a happy marriage. Why no married relationship up in heaven? Well, heaven is not populated by birth, uh, but by those who are born again here on earth. And so a primary purpose for our sexuality here on on earth is procreation. Uh, So in heaven, that will not be a part of our life. But it is a part of our life here on earth. Right from the garden, God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Sadly, our culture is losing the importance of that creation mandate. Uh, Our population size here in America and uh, in many of the Western uh, cultures, I think, and really, I think, um, uh, in, um, among most of humanity, 
uh, the population size is decreasing. And we as Christians need to go against the culture and emphasize the importance of marriage and of raising a family. Um, There's a guy on Twitter that uh, says, be a rebel, love God, get married, raise a family. Sylvester and Tiffany are trying to uh, reverse the trend all in one family, and we are thankful to God. I want to make one comment on the absence of marriage in heaven. Uh, We should assume that in the resurrection age, there will be always more of what is good, not less. And I think that the close relationships that we enjoy in this present age, we will certainly enjoy in an even deeper intimacy and a far greater joy than we currently enjoy, even if our marriage is as happy here on earth as any marriage could be. Uh, Ralph Davis says, We can be sure that the Lord will not use the age to come to deprive us. I expect Mandy and I will be best friends for all eternity. And Mandy's going, oh, thought I was going to be rid of him. But hey, I will be made perfect uh, in the Lord Jesus, right? You got to wait until eternity. <laughs> but I'll get there in Jesus. In verses 37 and 38, Jesus destroyed the Sadducees' idea that there was no resurrection in a matter that was in a manner that was very humiliating to them. He proved the reality of the resurrection from the very heart of the Torah. You know, they, we believe the Torah. The Torah doesn't teach the resurrection. Jesus said, "Oh, yes it does." So verses 37 and 38 Jesus said, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. God identified himself to Moses by the names of the patriarchs who had been dead for, at that time when God spoke to Moses, I think uh, all of them had been dead for over 500 years. And God used the present tense to speak of his current covenant faithfulness to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. In fact, if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God's promises to them that he would be a God to them and to their their seed after them would be um, null. It would be void. And so God is speaking in the present God stands in relationship to them even though they have passed from the earth. And the Sadducees were humiliated, but many of the scribes, many in the crowd, they were persuaded. As we conclude, I want to remind you of God's covenant faithfulness to you. He has bound himself to you in the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is no circumstance... There is no sin. There is no opposition that can break that relationship. God is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, 
of Wesley, of Mandy, of Jan, of Jack, of Hillary. And we could go on and on and everyone. He is the God who has bound himself to everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus. Now and forevermore, there is nothing under all creation that is able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for being... um, the king of all creation and coming here into our creation to suffer, bleed, and die and rise from the dead. Oh, Lord, we thank you that in Jesus Christ we also live a new life here on earth and a life that will never end in heaven in glory with you. We thank you that we are not just occupiers of heaven, but sons of the resurrection. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, encourage any fainting hearts that are here this morning. Remind them of your deep love for them, your commitment to them that will never wax or wane. Lord, I pray that if there are any here who are proud or who are in rebellion to God, I pray that you would bring them uh, very low in humility before the Lord Jesus. Lord, for all of us, remind us how much you love us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Please take your hymn books and turn to number 305.